Chuck and Julie, bringing you the truth straight up. I'm Julie Hayden. I'm working at- An Emmy-winning former investigative reporter, a highly successful trial attorney, and publisher of a major Denver-area newspaper. They've been partners as talk show hosts and in marriage as parents for over 10 years, providing thought-provoking information, opinion, and entertainment live, local, and interactive. Everyone's voice is always welcome on The Chuck and Julie Show. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, Chuck Bono, Julie Hayden, The True Straight Up. I miss every time I say intro. <laughs> I, I, I recognize that I used to be a lot better looking person when I was younger. Uh, <laughs> so regarding our intro, we have to shoot it. Rev is now taller than me, so it's a little out. <laughs> version of the Chuck and Julie show, the show brought to you by Mountain West Wellness, Chinese Acupuncture, and Advanced Chinese Medicine, along with HappyTrees.co and Denver Cenogenics and Dr. Julie McCallan. Coming up at 3.30, we're going to have Robert Spencer on. Jihad Watch. Jihad Watch. Talk about Ukraine, the Russian war, and. Yeah, you'll be glad things. to know the FBI is now standing with Ukraine. Yes, and yes. Justice Department. So unfortunately, they've got luckily they've got some time where they're not arresting uh, mm-hmm. silent prayers in front of abortion clinics parents, or parents at school board meetings. Man, so. there's no better, worse publicity for Ukraine that the Ukraine that the FBI is 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 all for them. It's coming up at the bottom of the hour, but right now we want to introduce Eric Odlin. He's been on our show several times. A lot of you guys remember him from when he ran for Congress in the CD7. Um, he is now also one of several candidates who've thrown their hat into the race for state GOP chair, and that vote will be by the 490-some Central Committee members right, coming so up March 11th. not clear how many people, because there's more people than there are votes. But <laughs> yeah. um, nonetheless, it, it'll be in the 400s. And, and we're so happy to have you with us, Eric. Eric, thank you for your time oh. on this Friday. You'll be, you'll oh, be I'm glad, glad to be with you. Uh, you'll be glad to know that you and the other candidates got the best negative endorsement ever for candidates. Dick Wadham said you all stink. Uh, <laughs> I read that. I read that. Yeah. I, I mean, the only thing worse for somebody is for somebody saying, I like Eric Audlin or I like uh, Casper Stockholm. And if Dick says it, then that would lose him probably any chance of winning. But uh... um, well, let me let me we jump in. We've been interviewing all of the candidates and I want to let folks know we'll have Aaron Wood on on Monday. But it was kind of starting out the same with everybody and just, you know, asking you to go ahead and say, you know, what you're standing for, why you're running, what you want people to Give us to know. your one minute uh, synopsis. Or it can of, be longer than a minute. Well, it can't be 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> but go ahead and I'll give us it, give us a pitch. <laughs> well, I'll keep it brief. I think I think most people know my bio, but I'll just hit the highlights. Former Republican nominee for Congressional District 7. Uh, got on the the ballot through the assembly, won a contested primary, then became a nationally targeted race. Uh, West Point graduate, Army officer, did a couple tours in combat, Iraq and Afghanistan, received two bronze stars, one for valor. I left the Army as a captain after commanding a unit in Afghanistan and then uh, spent a decade in the oil and natural gas business all over the world. I've drilled oil and natural gas wells extensively here in Colorado, but Finished managing a $300 billion project in Israel, built a pipeline for a $5 billion project that made him a net exporter of natural gas, and then got involved politically. And uh, the mission I have in running for chairman is the same mission I had in running for Congress. That's to to, to beat Democrats, these radical left uh, socialist agenda that is destroying opportunity. I have three little children, eight, one turns six, and the other turns too, and I, I think their future is in jeopardy. So we're, we're at a, a low point as a Republican Party, just suffering the worst string of defeats in our history. And I have extensive leadership experience, and I'm, I'm, I'm in this arena because I love Colorado. I don't want to be forced to leave it because of what's happening, and, and I'm fighting for my family. So I can pause and, and then well, let me have you hit some of the contested topics. And I know I, and you, your campaign is really good about sending up pretty, cause I get the emails, the updates, but why don't you hit some of the things that are kind of buttons for Colorado Republicans? Um, the, the primary, the open primary, um, there've been some proposals to get rid of the caucus system. Um, and you know, I mean, let's have you talk about what's your position on those two things. Yeah, so I published an article in Campfire Colorado making a case to close the primary and and to do it legally through a lawsuit, which was voted on by the Central Committee. 
and hasn't been been uh, perpetuated. And I think there is a, is a lot of merits to closing the primary, and I'll support that as chairman. Uh, I've also been accused of wanting to get rid of the caucus system. I don't want to get rid of the caucus system. I want to make it excellent. I also published a newsletter, which you can find on my website, which outlines my plan to make the caucus succeed and 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 support candidates to win elections. I, I think it's essential that we make it work right. And in many counties across the state, it's not functioning to full capacity. Some counties do it better than ever. So I'll partner with county leadership across the state to make the caucus system well-run, efficient, and, and, and a phenomenal exercise for the grassroots, which made me a better candidate, by the way. I went through the assembly. It was a, a great challenge, and it forced me to campaign to the core of our party. And I learned a significant amount, and it ultimately made me a better candidate. So I want to make the caucuses great again. What was your other? Well, you hit the primary. What about ballot harvesting? Position on on, yes. on the, the whole election system and integrity and things. Well, so so one of my top priorities is for us to, to compete with Democrats on ballot harvesting. It's legal here in Colorado. We need to do it effectively. I, I mean, I think that uh, the, 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 there's not a level playing field because they are they're harvesting ballots. They're doing it openly, and we've never risen to compete. So we need to build out a statewide organization that that competes on that. And that's a significant endeavor. I mean, the blueprint was a 20-year strategy. We need a similar counter strategy uh, that is a long-term vision, and it includes ballot harvesting. What about Charlene wants to know, one of our listeners, do you support Trump for president 2024? I mean, as chairman, I'll be neutral in the primary. And if he's the nominee, he'll have my full support. Absolutely. Do you hope he runs? Or, I mean, do you want to say anything ahead of time or do you want to just say you would remain neutral for now? Well, I think it's it's the role as chairman to, to buy the bylaws to stay neutral in the primary. And I, you know, God only knows who, who that best that best candidate is, given all the different uh, shifting sands. I mean, I think I've, I've made a strong case uh, why Trump was a phenomenal president. But I'm, I'm focused on those policies and why those policies work. And I think we have a problem focusing on personalities. I mean, when Trump ran in 2016, all the delegates here went for Cruz. And so, you know, but, but Trump, Trump, Trump became our nominee and, and, and it was our duty to support him in that, in that election bid. And thankfully he won it and, and he had a highly successful presidency. So, you know, we, we've got to be uh, supporting that nominee. Well, let me ask you, why why did we do so poorly in 2022 here in Colorado, do you believe? Well, I think, I, I you know, on the surface, there there was uh, a backlash against the Dobbs decision, which I, I am in print. You know, I'm, I'm strongly pro-life. And, and I think the Dobbs decision was one of the greatest successes for our cause in decades. Uh, but I do think in Colorado specifically, there was a, a backlash against pro-life candidates that that was backed up by polling that we conducted, showing that abortion was the number two issue in District 7 and, and a major issue statewide. And we've got to acknowledge that reality. There was we do have an image problem that we need to work on. You know, Trump's unfavorable rating in District 7 is 67 percent unfavorable. That's that's a reality that we have to account for. And I, I don't think a lot of Republicans want to acknowledge that that has affected our image and and that it's something we need to address going forward. Well, how, how do you address it? I mean, you certainly had a senatorial candidate who did not like Trump. Um, who said it would work against work him. Work against him. And, and, and it was pro-abortion and he did terrible. So, I mean, if if a candidate, if, our weakness is Trump and abortion, uh, then candidates who were uh, anti-Trump and pro-abortion should have done well. Instead, they well, did terrible. It, I, wish, I wish it was that simple. One, yeah. we, we got outspent in every major race. So, so the media painted even Joe O'Day as a, as a MAGA candidate, as an election denier, just like they painted me. And so they were effective in, in, in messaging to the constituents uh, with a lot more money than we had. I got outspent 10 to, 10 to 1. And so it's very hard to overcome those narratives 
and create a, an appeal uh, that that gets enough independence in our camp. We can't ignore that demo, demographic. Let me ask you about this moving to the, the local, the, the Colorado race. I know that certainly on our part, we had, in, you know, we're for Christy Burton Brown, who portrayed herself as grassroots. And then she became chair and I think was particularly not grassroots. And, and notwithstanding almost 100 percent vote to be involved in the right. uh, in the um, closing the primary, closing the primaries, which I raised all the money for. And she gave the excuse that, well. They had to get a, an opinion from the FEC before they opened an account. She didn't have to do anything. All she had to do was sign on to an amicus brief, and we would have gotten one over our biggest hurdle. Uh, but, of course, she didn't do it. Because uh, of the donors. And so that's what I wanted yeah, to ask about, a, about the money. What, you know, I mean, are you talking to Phil Antutz and his people? I mean, because that's my concern, right, that 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 the donors, and there's only a couple of them in Colorado that. Well, there's only one. In the well, side right. Pick. That have the money. And so we saw a, a reliable, we thought, grassroots candidate, I think, came in probably for the money. Now, maybe her her was. Well, it happened for Steve House, who was right. Adams County chair, and he ran all his grassroots. And the minute he got in, he, he kind of went into an affair and went. went uh, Don't do that. That's last time Susan Beckham was going to win and Ken Buck came in and they rigged the uh, proxies. He didn't, but his lieutenant certainly did. So um, the question is, how do we. Because it is a it is a dilemma, right? You need money to operate, but yet the people who control the money are not sort of the grassroots. You know, don't clearly. I mean, your former campaign consultant Patrick Davis wants to have a whole pay to play kind of scheme going on. How how do you, you address that? Can, can I address these one sure. by one? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's start with Patrick Davis, who who managed my campaign for Congress, is a good friend of mine. And, you know, if in the federal issues, we agree on probably 98%. He ran Trump's campaign here in 2016. He's a Trump appointee, and he's a, he's a, a Christian and very strong pro-life conservative. And we agree on, on most issues. The way for the party forward, however, we agree to disagree on many different things. Okay. Look at my history. I, I am my own man. I make my own decisions. I made my own decisions running for Congress. I'm going to make my own decisions as chairman. And I've articulated my positions uh, uh, on the caucus, on the closed primary, which he, he outright disagrees with. But, yeah. but these aren't ideologies. The reason I published an argument for closing the primary was so it would stand on its own merit. So it would, I, I could convince others to, to see why we need to do this. And that's how I'll operate as chairman. I, good leaders surround themselves with not yes men, but people who openly disagree with them so that they can have alternative perspectives. What about now, the, the money? The money, I've never met Phil Anschutz. He contributed You're to my never campaign. going to meet Phil Anschutz. <laughs> no, I've met Phil Anschutz. I know Phil Anschutz. And he isn't, you're never going to talk to Phil Anschutz. For the rest of your life, you're never going to meet him. But Phil Anschutz has, has lots of people below him he sends out to talk to people. <laughs> um. So, so uh, the donors, I was one of the few grassroots candidates to, to have an extensive ground game. In fact, we turned out the highest percentage of Republicans percentage-wise of any congressional district. We had, I had a couple hundred volunteers activated, knocking thousands of doors, you know, over 40,000 doors, 150,000 phone calls, uh, tons of texts, a, a significant grassroots effort. And a lot of these donors uh, did not support me in the primary. They, they supported my opponent, Tim Riker, but they got behind me and I was able to unify the grassroots and what would, you know, the so-called establishment to run a highly effective congressional campaign raising $1.4 million, which isn't easy. In the beginning, nobody would take my call. And I worked tirelessly, like, you know, making phone calls eight hour, eight to 10 hours a day, cold calling people like Anschutz, like Coors to raise that money. But never, never once did any of those donors dictate, you know, how my campaign messaging or, or how I conducted my campaign. I've, I've talked to Christy. I know there's a lot of ire towards Christy and she's seen in a whole different light by a lot of people. Uh, she said not once did any of those donors tell her how to run and how to act as chairwoman. So we, we've got to find a way, however, to create a plan that has broad-based appeal because we are divided in a way that 
means we cannot win elections. We can't function a, a statewide party without a lot of money. And that's going to be a tremendous challenge for the next chairperson when, when donors are saying, is there any return on an investment in Colorado? Can, is it even worth investing right now? I think a lot of them are saying, no, it's not worth it. And, and some candidates, they will outright not support if they, if they win this race. Yeah. However, your, your point about maintaining integrity and not being beholden to that donor class is well, well taken and, and is a, a concern of mine. I think we need to build out a small donor network that is consistent, but most Republicans don't even contribute. So, so we've become- Well, well why, well, why should they? they well, why should they when yeah. people like Christy Burton Brown burn up their, their money uh, for nothing, for nothing? I mean, her commitment to Colorado was a disaster. I was on the executive committee of the state party. So I, I was down at the headquarters and I would say, look, you can't win without ballot harvesting because the one person they ought to hire is somebody's done ballot harvesting. I've done a ton of ballot harvesting municipal races. Um, and I can tell you, if your side ballot harvests and the other side doesn't, you win. You will win every time. In Adams County, we won all the races in 2014. And by 2018, we lost all the races. In 2018, we were ahead in all the races until all the ballot harvesting were dumped. And then we lost everything. The greatest thing that the Democrats have done is convince Colorado that it's really blue. It isn't. But if you don't ballot harvest, you don't win. And I've been preaching this message for six years. Christy laughed in my face. She thought that was funny. She thought that was hilarious. Uh, she thought ballot harvesting for Republicans was a joke, a joke. Well, he said he's for right? Well, I know. But I mean, you know, I mean, Christy yeah. Burton Brown was the worst chair I've ever seen. And I supported her first chair. I mean, she was just an atrocious loser. Um, on every era, and she was dishonest. But but that's just me, and everybody has a different <laughs> that has a different opinion. But um, well, you know, the, yeah, well, but you have to have two things. You have to one work to get rid of ballot harvesting. You have to have try to put it up on the on the uh, ballot system. Do whatever you can to get rid of it. But until mm -hmm. you get rid of it, if you don't run as hard as you can with ballot harvesting, uh, you're going to lose. Um, and and, and see, okay, anyway, but see, in CD8, we would have won if we ballot harvested. We would have won if we ballot harvested. It's, it's the number one item on my on my plan on my website is building out the organization of ballot harvest, and that's not a small endeavor. It is a huge endeavor. It's incredibly <laughs> difficult. It's incredibly and, difficult. And and I, but I, I completely agree, Chuck. It's got to be done. Yeah. Let me ask you about this, because I think you have expressed um, sort of frustration as everyone keeps calling you the establishment candidate. You're like, I'm not the establishment candidate. <laughs> All the ideas are the grassroots ideas. And, and I get that. On the other hand, though, and I, I'm just going to ask you flat out, and some of the people who clearly are established, like the Eli Bremer, who tried to overthrow T Vicki Tonkins down there in El Paso County, Scott Gessler. Now, I have heard that those people are reaching out and campaigning for you for um, the state GOP chair. And so well, how do you have people who've tried to destroy the grassroots on one level and who are clearly establishment? I mean, is that true, number one? And secondly, can you kind of, what's your answer to that? Well, first of all, Scott Gessler is my attorney. He's also Tina Peters' attorney and Dave Williams' attorney. So he's, okay. he's remaining yep. neutral. But I, I think Scott's been a significant advocate for, for Tina Peters in her, in her legal proceedings. And so I, I would say that there's more than meets the eye to, to Scott Gessler, but um, that's fair. I'm I'm not so I don't he, he's not actively campaigning for me because that would be a conflict of interest. Uh, Eli Bremer is a fellow Service Academy graduate uh, who who has been a supporter of mine. He did endorse me in my congressional race, um, but but I don't know that he's actively campaigning for me or, or okay. doing anything. For me, uh, publicly, I, I think he just, uh, you know, we have that shared commonality as, as, as service academy graduates and, and veterans. And I, I think what distinguishes me, Julie, from a lot of candidates is I can go into any room and work with anybody. And I really try to listen first. And I can appreciate different perspectives. 
you know, and, and, I, and, I, and there's a lot of misinformation. In fact, in this race, people are actively lying about me, like faceless lies that are totally provable. Um, and, and there's a lot of distortion of the truth. And this is not helping the Republican cause. And we have to stop eating our own and, and, and propose ideas that stand on our own merits and, and not stand for ideological reasons, but because they are the best way to serve our values and to defend against the just wholesale destruction of Colorado in this country. I'm honoring the oath I took to defend the US Constitution. This is why I'm in this uh, nasty arena, you know, being <laughs> mischaracterized. And I, I feel like I'm pretty misunderstood about everywhere. <laughs> well, and it is kind of funny because I mean the party is split. Funny is it the right word? But but I have heard you express frustration. I mean you don't want to say no, I'm not that. But on the other end, it's like no, it's not. I mean you know. It's, well, it's, I've heard I heard another candidate said I need to go back to my shrink uh, because I'm fighting for the worst job in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I I really am doing this with the sincerest of intentions. I never aspired to be the chairman. I, when I was asked uh, after my congressional race to consider this, I said no. I told the media no, and I prayed. I, I fasted for seven days, no no food, and I prayed and, and meditated before making this decision. And was inspired. Maybe should have fasted for eight days. <laughs> well, I made it seven and a half. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. There, anyway. Well, okay. So, I mean, that and that is that was going to be another question. Is you know, I know. You, you, you know, well, let me, two questions. One is, okay, so as a candidate in CD7, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you had expressed frustration that you weren't getting a ton of help from the state. Um, and if and if you become chair, I mean, and I've heard plenty of other candidates say similar kinds of things, well, right? No money. <laughs> well, I know there's no money, but I mean, even just other kinds of help too. So you saw firsthand as a candidate you know, the main job is to get candidates elected. So you have firsthand experience about what the state can and can't do. How would, what would you do? Well, I, I do think that candidates felt largely unsupported. You know, there, you know, and I, I think that that is so important because it's very hard to run for office. As I think both of, you know, it, yeah. it takes it out of you and, and you're, you're putting yourself in the arena and so I, I think there needs to be a much stronger support system for candidates so they understand the process, that they, they know where to go. I mean, we need to help them connect with donors. We need to help them be successful. There needs to be a rigorous training program. And I, I'm well suited to that. I just went through every part of the process from the assembly to a, a, a tough primary and, and a general election that had national prominence. And I, my endorsements are significant. And people say I'm establishment because I'm endorsed by, you know, Mike Pompeo and Rick Perry and Kevin McCarthy. Well, to achieve those endorsements and to gain that level of credibility is, is really important in winning a federal race and also raising the money. Can't do it without money. So the accusations that I've taken money from the devil uh, because I accepted contributions from some of the big donors in the state, well, it's the ammunition to get your message out. And I was still uh, outmatched, like I said, 10 to one. So I, I think a lot of Republicans don't really understand what it takes to mount a, a successful federal level candidacy. It's like running a, a medium sized business. It's significant. So um, well, Julie knows she was behind a, a <laughs> back in her Democrat days. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Actually, was a, the media person for Dave Williams who was writing not Dave Williams, not Dave, Williams <laughs> Dave Thomas. Um, and I, and I can't tell you, I quit fun. It was such a cesspool, you know. I mean, I was as informed. I was like, I was like, you're kidding me. Well, let me ask you. Well, and she also knew what, what you know, which is you spend your entire day uh, on the phone, yeah, trying raising to raise money. money. That's all you do. I mean, you do it. It is it is soul sucking. <laughs> yeah, that's it. The poor candidate wasn't even allowed. It was like a little closet room back then. It was just like a little princess phone, push button phone, right? He didn't even get to go anywhere. He just sat in there with the finance director going through the list. And I just thought that doesn't seem fun. But anyway, we're almost out of time. So same thing. I'm going to ask you the same final two questions we've asked all the other candidates. Well, I may have some other questions. Oh, do you want to ask him then? Because I was just going to have, let him have the last word and give us how to get information. Well, uh, I... You know the monetary uh, problems, and I've always said the Republicans ought to go out to the Baccarat room in Las Vegas and say, you know, party for sale, party for sale. Anybody like to buy the Republican Party? Uh, because 
we have very, very little money. Um, and I, and the only hope we really have is if we can get the trust back of the average Republican who will send their $50 a month or $10 a month to the party, because there are not enough billionaires and the billionaires are here like Paul Singer. Um, and, and, but that's, it's, it's, and we have to ballot harvest, uh, and we have to get the trust of the people back, I think, because uh, I know, um, it, there's not much trust in the Republican Party among Republicans. <laughs> and yeah. So right. you're kind of struggling there. Um, well, so the trust it, within and without is broken. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, let me say- I was going to say, final thing. Go ahead. Just final thing you want to say, and then also, if people want to get more information, if they want to help or volunteer, hey, phone calls for you. Yeah, where can they go? Well, I mean, I, I I get a good sense from watching the chat what a lot of your listeners think of me, <laughs> and a lot of it is 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 uh, is. But don't listen to them. They're yeah, always negative. Not there. There are people. <laughs> go respond. But 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 I I want to I want to encourage people that. That we've got to focus on the real enemy, and until we do that, we until we can come together on some some commonalities and 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 some core principles and focus on beating Democrats, we will have no relevance in this state. And so I I'm putting my forth myself forth with extensive leadership experience, uh, you know, and 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 a strong commitment to our conservative values and the U.S. Constitution, wanting to take on. The Democrats, which are destroying opportunity, destroying our economy, destroying our freedom, the list is long, and that's where we need to focus our attention. Until we can do that, we're, we're, we're not going to earn trust because we we don't look united. We look disunited. The media eats it up, and I would say this is divide and conquer, and the Democrats love it how we're, we're killing each other. Okay. Well, then where could people, I mean, the people who are listening um, want to, if they want to. The one that are not commenting. (laughs) My website is the same as it was for Congress. It's oddland4colorado.com, A-A-D-L-A-N-D-F-O-R, colorado.com. My plan is front and center on that website. Right. I have to say, Eric grows on you. He's grown on me. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks very much, Eric. Thank, I really appreciate you coming on. It's a, it, you make it fun. I, <laughs> I love Thanks. your laugh, Chuck. So. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Eric. See you. Have All a good right. weekend. All right. You too. All right, Eric Audlin there, and a reminder to folks, we will have Aaron Wood on. I think we'll get Casper on again next week. Um, we've also ha- we've had everybody on. We had Kevin Lundberg, Tina Peters, Dave Williams. Now, Eric Oglin. So um, if there's any out there running that we don't know about, you feel free there to contact not. us. Uh, no, we, no, we I know. know. I know. Um, all right. So it's time. Actually, we can hopefully we'll have um, um, Robert Spencer join in because I want to talk about Ukraine. It is going to be interesting. Um, and, um, you know, as you said yesterday, you've endorsed Dave Williams, mm-hmm. you know, and I like Dave Williams, too. Um, but there are good candidates. I will say that, uh, you know, Tina Peters, ju- and- just like the opposite of uh, Dick Adams has also been in this right. program. I think this is the best field Republicans have ever had. Right. Uh, I'd be happy with lots of the candidates winning. Um, I think it's the best field that the Republicans had to choose. Right. Um, I agree. I'm, I'm thrilled to endorse uh, Dave, but that doesn't mean that all the other ones. Yeah. Um, they're, you know, haven't been great too. And Eric has kind of grown on me. I'll tell you the truth and done. He's done well. He's a good guy. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a wild time in in up in uh, well, on March 11th. If you look, I mean, because I get the emails, his his plan is spot on, uh, right? I mean, but it's the same plan. Dave Williams has that plan. Tina Peters has that plan. Kevin Lundberg has that plan. Casper has that plan. I think it's going to be an interesting. My guess is so. The way it works, guys, is on March 11th, there are roughly 490 Central Committee members, and they all vote. And my guess, and if they don't, I think there are 424 votes because a lot of the vice chairs split up their votes. Right. Uh, right. But roughly 400 some. Plus, and yeah. you have to get 51 percent. And I, that I think hardly ever happens. So I suspect. No, it does happen to happen with Ryan Collin happens the other ones. So but sometimes happen. it doesn't happen. Sometimes it didn't have to happen last time. Right. And so I think there will be then two rounds. And so it'll be a very interesting convention um, to see because, I mean, somebody's going to have to drop out. Um, you know, and I mean, and we'll have to see where all of that goes. Um, it'll be interesting to see March 11th if everybody stays in too. Another thing, because I will agree with Eric, based on what Eric is saying, he, his position clearly is not 
establishment, well, right? Well, that's what um, Dick Wadham And right. And as you said, the Dick Wadham. Oh, just getting Dick Wadham to hate him was the best it, thing, Eric. Is, and the other candidates got. I mean, if he endorsed if, any of them, that's if right. he said I like one of them, that was been the kiss that, of death. That'd be over. That'd that would be, be over. the kiss of death. But um, I, I, so the, the un, unknown is is there a an, an establishment person that's going to jump in? Right. I mean, so well, there's rumors can. that Heidi Ganahl is and apparently there was some super secret meeting with KBB and and Deborah Flora and, and some others on Monday, I think. But and I haven't heard Which, the, again, we so haven't heard heard from our that. spies on what happened at the meeting out some of the things, yeah. too. Um, that's it's and the comments, guys, the, Eric was reading the comments. I could see that. So um, um so. Okay, yeah, I won't go into read. I think you all enough enough already of the unity talk. But we're just about, <laughs> speaking of unity, I'm stalling. They're waiting for Robert to come on. Yeah, Spencer, no more of that stupid unity garbage. <laughs> We've got Robert Spencer from Jihad Watch here with us, and to help us sort out everything going on. World War Three. Well, yeah, World War when III. will World War Three? When, when, when is World War Three officially going to start? And and which. Which uh, American cities will be uh, nuked. nuked and which ones will be saved? <laughs> no, happy Friday. Well, hey, you got to unmute yourself. There we go. There yeah, we go. I got it. Got it. I, uh, I, <laughs> it, it's just astonishing that we even are talking about this and it's a serious thing. Yeah. But it, of course, we know that this is something that the Biden administration wants. Anybody would be stupid to think that they don't want a war. Right. Uh, why do they want a war? They want a war for several reasons. One is Biden's presidency has been a disaster. If yeah. a war, then suddenly, like 9-11, everybody rallies around the flag and stops criticizing the president, and he's likely reelected if he runs in 24. That's one. Two, gets the economy going. Three, getting the economy going by muni- making munitions and weapons and, 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 and all that. And that feeds the military industrial complex, which has been starving since the end of the war in Afghanistan. Uh, also, and this is the ugliest aspect of all these ugly things, these people believe there are too many people in the world. Yes, yes, they really do think that they think we're we're ruining the climate and going to destroy the planet by having by all the you know all our cars and everything. And so they really believe this, and they want to reduce the world's population significantly. What better way to do that than by a nuclear war? And so it seems inconceivable that anybody would actually want one, but that just happens in this case to coincide with the insane worldview of the people in power. Well, and Robert, you know, it does a bunch. I agree with everything you just said there. I mean, number one, if we're at war, not only, you know, does it stop the criticism, it becomes, you know, I mean, it's a crime then if we're going to criticize the president during wartime, or right? So the FBI can go to town. I think also, you know, in wartime, if we're supposed to suffer, right? Like we did in world. I mean, you accept so, suffering you accept as a suffering. natural consequence. So of course we don't have eggs. Of course we can't afford gasoline. Of course go to rationing. we have to ration utilities and things like that, which all also push is their global? I mean, the like you said, the war, just like COVID, sort of, you know, sort of jump started a lot of that stuff. A war would fast forward all of these insidious, horrible things that they also want to accomplish. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. That's an excellent point and very important because it covers for them and at the same time takes the wind out of the sails of everybody who's saying, what is this, $8 eggs and all this business? Well, of course, yeah, it's a war. There's (laughs) a war on, buddy. But we should remember that going back to World War I, the Wilson administration put in very, very strong restrictions on the freedom of speech. Yeah, Espionage Act of 1918. There were people who went to prison for opposing the war. This is is much more authoritarian than any administration we've ever had before. They hate the speech. They want to destroy it. What better way than under the cover of a world war? So what what is what is the uh, motive of people like Mitch McConnell, uh, who loves the war more than (laughs) anybody else? Well, you know, the people talk about the uniparty these days. And I think true that Mitch is not really in the opposition. Mitch is all part of the same club. And 
So of course he's he he he's for it. He's for whatever they want because he probably benefits from right. the same things that the Democrat politicians benefit from. So you know the Ukraine thing has never been explained and probably never will be. That Sam Bankman Freed, the FTX guy, he uh, well it, it went like this, but then it dropped out of sight. Yeah. The the United States gives money to Ukraine. Ukraine gives money to FTX. FTX, <coughs> excuse me, FTX gives money to Democrat politicians. Right, right. We, we saw that reported, and then poof, it was right. gone. It goes away. Right. But, well, I feel I feel a little bit like Lincoln did as a member of the Whig Party in 1848, where she's went, this war is insane. I mean, we're, we're invading them based on a pretext, really, to create more slave states, um, and to equal out against the the incoming non-slave states. Um, but, you know, that caused the end of the Whig Party, just like opposing the War of 1812 killed the Federalist Party. Um, it's amazing. Uh, if you oppose a popular war, and I'm not sure this is a popular war, but if you it oppose... It doesn't matter. If, well, it all, you have to win the war, too. It helps to win it in a short period of time. Um, but But it just, it seems so evil. You know, this thing about unprovoked, uh, attack when the U.S. did everything to provoke the attack on the Ukraine, uh, to have NATO, you know, saying, oh, we don't attack Russia. Of course, Georgia's not Russia. Kazakhstan is not Russia. I mean, we'll make everything, uh, including Mongolia, a NATO country. Um, yeah, well, NATO, they agreed in the 90s not to expand into the former Soviet republics and right. the satellite states. Now, I'm not saying that that should have been the case. Maybe they should never have made the agreement. But once they made the agreement, then they're handing Putin rhetorical ammunition because he can very easily say, look, it's the West that's been encroaching upon what they agreed. They agreed was our sphere of influence. And that's the aggression that we're responding to. What about this? I mean, Chuck, you made an important point. And I think, you know, that's like, it's good to win the war. If you're going to get into one, you want to win yeah, one. Winning the wars is not a good way. Let's <laughs> about that, though. But I mean, I think the United States, we have this inherent thing. Well, if we go in, we'll win. But I mean, to me. Yeah, we should prove that in Afghanistan. And it's, yeah, really. It's very alarming to me, this China-Russia coalition that's growing. And so you've got like China, Russia, Iran, India, India North Korea, all of these places. South Africa maybe nuclear capabilities right so what do we got we got canada we got france we got what england uh, you know well they maybe, had, i think there were maybe. 132 countries voting for this un resolution which was anti stuff. and and but there were 32 and now 34 countries voted against it so um we're, we don't seem to be gaining if you look at the polls uh, approval of uh, this unlimited aid to Ukraine seems to be dropping. The question, though, is, is how dangerous, uh, I mean, how dangerous is this? I mean, it seems to me China and Russia, I mean, for them to be uniting against the United States, now you throw in North Korea and Iran, all of these countries hate the United States. And we're just, I, I mean, the, I think the assumption that, oh, we would win easily and like no Americans would be killed. I mean, how dangerous is this growing alliance on the other side, do you think? dangerous and there's no indication that we would necessarily win i hope we would if it came to that but we have to remember we haven't actually won a war since 1945 and nobody who was in charge then is still alive now every last war that the united states has been in ever since has been a stalemate with an agreement to divvy up the land in question or an ignominious defeat what about the invasion of Grenada? So diverse, though. We're diverse, Robert. <laughs> I don't think it's Grenada. It's like this. Um, <laughs> but the war against Russia, war against China, plus Iran, plus North Korea, plus whoever else. And what do we have on our side? We have this woke military that's more yeah. concerned with implementing critical race theory and getting everybody vaccinated than they are in actually learning how to win wars. So it's even worse. Not only do we have nobody in charge who's ever won a war? Not only have we not even tried to win a war since before any of the people who are in charge were born, but they don't even concentrate on learning how to win wars. Right. They concentrate on implementing the left's radical social agenda in the military. 
and the Chinese aren't playing any games like that. They don't spend any time putting their troops through critical race theory sessions <laughs> and making Actually, sure they, that- they just came one with a whole proposal to you know to kind of go against girlish men right and, you know <laughs> we attack you know we promote right. girlish men well, well the girlish men are perfect bring a girl they we're saying we want more girlish men in the military yes right. yes men in the military and you decide you're a woman then they'll pay for your operation and they'll take care of you and everybody has to tiptoe around you and call you she and her and the chinese are saying we don't want any girl we want real men in the military who's gonna win <laughs> right. yeah who's gonna well, win right let's get this because i think we all have at least I do this concept like you know the mutual assured destruction right so everybody's going to rattle their nuclear sabers and no one's going to ever actually do anything but again I look at Russia up against a wall China who could care less about the United States Iran which just wants to destroy us anyway North Korea which wants to destroy us anyway I mean you look at these countries who have nuclear capabilities who hate us I mean I think that's a that's a stupid assumption that people have and so do you think the Biden administration are they being stupid or do they not care if somebody actually care. shoots nuclear missiles at the United States reduce or the nuclear population. weapons? Yeah, it would reduce the population and it would mobilize the Americans behind the government. No downside as far as the uh, Biden administration is concerned. They don't care if millions of people are killed because it would fit their green agenda. Right. right. How? Well, I mean, well, you'll be glad to know the FBI today, Robert, I don't know if you saw this, came out with a statement. Robert Ray issued a statement saying the FBI stands with Ukraine. They've been working for years with Ukrainian partners to battle Russian aggression in Ukraine. In, in our schools. Yeah, yeah, in our schools. I mean, so you've got- In our that. clinic. You had that. We've got, we've got MSNBC, CNN are all doing all of this. The, the Justice Department is standing with Ukraine. All the, I mean, this is my thing. If you knew nothing about Ukraine, the fact that all the usual suspects who've lied to us for years about everything are coming out in favor of it, we should be against it. Yeah, that makes me very suspicious. And I see people that I trust and respect, and they're completely on board and say, oh, we've got to beat Putin, and it's very important. And I'm sorry, I just can't see it. It seems to me the money laundering aspect has not been addressed, and the corrupt connections with the Democrats have not been addressed. The fact that all these people have connections to Ukraine, that tr- Trump was impeached over a call to Ukraine. Right. Yeah. The Information Governance Board chief studied yeah. in Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, there, I could go on and on. There's so many instances of these people that are very corrupt or very dangerous or both, and they're tied up with Ukraine somehow. And yeah. I'm just, uh, and I see that, that, Zelensky's walking around, you know, um, with with what was it, Vanity Fair? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they finished their San Britain uh, uh, photo shoot, and so then they'd go with, uh, with Zelensky. Biden yeah. shows up there, and the air, you know, the air raid sirens go off. I mean, and nobody's it, worried about. It. I mean, that's maybe all going on. No, let's go out. If if it were real, they wouldn't have had him there. Yeah. Right. right. It were real part two then they when the sirens went off then they would have ducked for cover and gotten out of the way but right. that they're just strolling along yeah. like in the middle of the park on a summer day and the air raid sirens are going off it's obvious theater yeah. and people have lied to us and fooled us for so many years about so many things they're not they're not doing it now come right. on well, well, I, well said, the, you know, we watched not too long ago uh, Wag the Dog, you know, which is supposed to be a satire and everything else, except it doesn't come up as a satire <laughs> anymore. It yeah. comes off as a documentary. Yeah, that you yeah. combine that with Up, where all the elite people, when the nuclear weapons come, they like, you know, the asteroid hits, they all take a, you know, plane to safety and the rest of us. Well, here. luckily they get eaten a lot. Krausen did a great thing last night where he talked about, so we've sent over $100 billion to Ukraine. And just this year alone. And he kind of walks through all the things we could do with that. But you'll be glad to know, Samantha Powers assures us we don't need to look into it because no. there's no corruption going on no, there. No, hint, no hint. No going. Samantha Powers, who's in Hungary doing suspicious things, yeah, right, um, right. says we're, we're just fine there. Yeah, I saw that. And I thought, I would like to see the results of her audit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's going to things like their pensions. 
Well, that <laughs> <laughs> BlackRock, which invests it, which then gives money to Larry to Fink. And... Well, where do we? Well, let me ask you this: Where, how, how's the war going? Because you certainly can't um, listen to the Western media and have any idea. Well, the brave it, Ukrainians, talk. the brave Ukrainians are winning at all costs and so forth. And my feeling is, I, I, I have no idea because I don't trust them one bit. I can go to South Front, which is really a Russian outlet, but but you know they're on the other side, so. Where do you get any information on what's actually happening in the war? I don't know the answer to that. I haven't been able to find trustworthy information. I did hear something very interesting recently, though, from a gentleman I know who lived in Russia for many years. And he told me, he keeps up with the events there, that Putin is not actually committing the Russian army to Ukraine. He doesn't want to have a lot of Ukrainian casualties because right. he considers Ukraine a breakaway Russian province and their yeah. brothers, and he doesn't want to have the Ukrainians have this lasting hatred and resentment based on the war and the carnage of the war. So he's trying to fight the war with one hand tied behind his back. He's not committing the cream of the Russian army, and he's avoiding mass casualties. Now, that's very different from what we hear in the West. Right, I don't know right, how true right. it is, but it makes sense. And it also suggests that it could get a lot uglier in as it goes on and on and on. And he re, he realizes that if he's going to win this, then he has to go in it more deeply. But then you have the problem of he doesn't really want a world war on his side. Right. And the United States keeps pushing for it. But eventually he might have to answer that or else he'll lose face and might lose his position. So it's a very dangerous game the Americans are playing. How does China figure? Because I think China was talking with Zelensky again today. I mean, how does China figure? China's so happy. They're the happiest people in the world. They're just just giggling over themselves. Yeah, they would love it if 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 Russia and the United States got into a war. Yes. They stayed out of it. They would love that because then they would be the beneficiaries. They'd be the lone superpower after the war. Uh, on the other hand, if they can play both sides against each other, then they will. Uh, I believe that uh, she recently met with Putin, didn't he? And they were right. making- well, no, one of his guys. We did, and who is his uh, domestic or, or international defense secretary? And and she is coming over sometime in the spring. Yeah, okay. I went to Moscow in the winter. Yeah, yeah no, I don't know. Easily an ally with them. After all, there's a history there, and. That would be extraordinary. That would be catastrophic for the United States. Well, the other thing that's depressing about this is, um, you know, the Biden government keeps saying, I mean, Tucker Carlson again played a montage that we're going to be there as long as it takes, as long as it takes. Now, we're not sure what it is we're trying to accomplish there. I believe there are those things you mentioned at the beginning. But but it seems to me that even if Putin were to surrender and say, I give you everything, I give up everything, they're going to still go to war because they still need to accomplish like all the money laundering things. They need to get rid of the population. I mean, they need to be able to silence a people. A, a peace settlement does not accomplish any of those goals. I mean, so I think I think the American government under Biden and the Uniparty are not interested in, in, in any kind of peace, are they? No, they're not. And there have been reports about them turning down peace offer, a peace right. offer based on various adjustments of the border. I mean, look, those provinces in the east are Russian population anyway. So right. let the Russians have them. And uh, people say, oh, this is this terrible thing. And they seized Crimea. Crimea is Russian population as well. Nikita Khrushchev gave it to Ukraine in the 50s because he was atoning for Stalin's Ukrainian famine. Well, and, he, he'd been based in, he'd been based in Ukraine. Well, what about, I mean, the other concern I have is once Putin realizes, which probably already has, is that, you know, the United States is not going to back down because we want this war. To me, if I'm Putin, I would think, well, okay, then I'm just going to do a preemptive strike fast and and end this. You know, I mean, you put him in a corner and he's going to have to react. And that that reaction, I think, should be very alarming to Americans. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt he could be pushed into a position. That's what I was saying a minute ago, that he could be pushed into a position where he has to respond. And 
then we've got the world war that they want. And, you know, this is this kind of thing has happened before. People say, and there's a lot of truth to it, you know, Franklin Roosevelt knew that the Japanese were going to attack, but yeah. he didn't do anything because he wanted that war. Right. And yeah. the problem with American presidents that want wars, they might well get it. <laughs> it's a little well, tough on the rest of us. You, you, you talked a second ago about a lot of people you respect are all in on the Ukraine war. And, and there are a lot of people that I know that are all in the Ukraine war. And I don't get it. Is it, it just is xenophobia? Is it just brainwash or, or the media? Or what is it? There are. It's funny thing about the left in the first place that all through the Cold War, yeah. when the Soviet Union was a real threat, they mocked and ridiculed conservatives right. for being worried about that threat. Yeah. And I remember that they spoke about it all as just about hating Russians, as if somebody would hate. I mean, who would care enough? But right. anyway, I remember Ronald Reagan when he was president and he went to a concert of, I think it was Rachmaninoff. And I remember reading in the paper how strange it was that he had gone to see a Russian composer because obviously he hates Russians. Mm -hmm. And that's how they thought, talked then. But now Cold War's over and Russia is substantially weaker and suddenly it's this huge threat for the left. They've just made it into this bogeyman. Now, right. recently, People, on the other hand, they do say, look, if he takes Ukraine, he's going to try to reconstitute the Soviet Union. So he'll take the Baltic states and then he'll threaten Poland and East Germany and Czech Republic and Slovakia. And we're domino. back in the domino theory. Right. That, and and it's, it is possible. But Russia is indeed much weaker than it was in the days of the Soviet Union. They're having enough trouble with Ukraine. They, as I said, they haven't committed their full army yet, but he's not in a position uh, like, well, he's compared to Hitler a lot. And Hitler rolled through Poland and then invaded everywhere else and was master of Europe within a couple of years. He couldn't hold it, but he had the 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 military to do that. I'm not sure that Russia does have the military no. to go on after Ukraine. Russia and China, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, Robert. Well, on that happy note. No. Hey, <laughs> we're rolling through Europe now. Thank you. Thank for you so much. We appreciate you being on. And it's always, always enlightening. Always, always enlightening. Folks, thank you. All right. Yeah, thank you, care. Robert Spencer there. Hey, that's going to wrap it up for us on this right. party Friday. Check has to go to the ballet, the Glen Bay Ballet. Watch rugby. Um, Leo, yeah, watch rugby. Um, Rev and I will stay home and eat McDonald's or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, which is a great treat. For but it is a great treat for Rev. Um, thank you to Eric Odlin. Thank you. Yeah, to appreciate Eric coming on. Yeah. Thank you to all the great guys on Zoom. We appreciate all of you, the guys at BBS. Remember, you can catch all our shows at ChuckandJulie.com. We have Aaron Wood on for Monday, um, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye.